Amen. Awesome. Well, cool, you can take a seat. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Caleb, as most of you have probably already heard. Um, I am the director of student ministries here at the church, and uh, what a great honor this morning to be with you. And um, Man, love these students up here leading us, uh, such an encouragement. And that's just a glimpse of um, how incredibly talented our students are in student ministry. Uh, we, we have so many students that um, are using their gifts and talents by God now that you don't have to wait till you're 18 or you graduate college uh, to be used by God, but God can use you right now wherever you are. And that's just a testament of what's happening um, back here. Yeah, and so that's awesome. We love them so much. Um, <laughs> awesome. Uh, so yeah, my name is Caleb, uh, been married, man, how many years now? I lost track after one. It was like two and a half years, two and two thirds. I'm joking, we're, we're newlywed-ish, I guess. Are you still newlyweds at two years? I, I'll count it. Uh, so we're newer weds and uh, love my wife so much. She's actually my sister, my older sister's best friend. And so I'm living the dream every little brother has to marry their older sister's best friend. So I, I banked good on that one. And uh, we have the most adorable daughter. Like, okay, I know I'm going to be biased because she's just so gorgeous and she's mine. But I, I'll be modest and say she's at least top three cutest babies to ever exist on planet Earth. Um, but I would like to see uh, second and third place. But uh, either way, she is adorable. Love her so much. Um, there's a good chance she'll be the one saying hi to you after service, just walking around. She's a little peanut. Um, love her to death. And uh, serving here under student ministries has been such a phenomenal honor. Uh, we, we love what we get to do, me and my wife. And uh, we're so grateful for the team that's around us. We have a phenomenal group of s leaders, um, small group leaders that help in uh, training and equipping and really just discipling the next generation of the church. And um, for those leaders that are in the room right now, I uh, can't say it enough how much we love and appreciate you. Um, and if you're in the room and you have a heart for the next generation, um, just to train, equip, and disciple, I'm just going to throw a plug in there that the door is always open to new leaders. And so if you have a desire to serve in student ministries and you're going, what's the avenue to get there? Um, come talk to me, my wife, and we would love to have that conversation. Uh, Outside of that, um, let's jump into the text this morning. I'm starting our series, Songs of Summer, where we go into the book of Psalms, and I'm really grateful for this opportunity, um, really excited for the text. When they said, hey, um, you can teach any psalm you want, I knew exactly right away which psalm I would go to, uh, Psalm 27. And the reason why is, um, I don't know about you, but there's been seasons in life where a particular passage just really resonates deep with the heart. Like, like you read a set of passages, and you're like, man, that is just phenomenal. And you find yourself in it time and time again. And that was me in college with Psalm 27. First time I read it, I'm like, oh my goodness, God's character and his attributes and, and who he is. This is so revealed in this passage. And David's heart to long after him. Um, man, I, I found myself anchored there time and time again. And so I'm really, really excited as we open up. Uh, Psalm 27. So let's do this. Uh, can I pray for us, and then we read this? Or let's read the passage, then I'll pray. How does that sound? Good? All right, phenomenal. Uh, Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an enemy a camp around me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. 
And hear this shift of tone going into verse 4. It goes from praising to requesting. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Can we pray together? Um, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you promise that when your word is, is, is returned, it won't return void. And so we trust you this morning, God, as we open up your word and, and we read from it and we see what you would have for us. That God, you're going to do something. God, we need you so desperately this morning. We trust you. We pray it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so Psalm 27. And um, for me, it's really helpful to just have an understanding of um, David's the one that wrote this psalm. And uh, what's going on in David's life as he's writing this passage, this psalm or song? And if you go to 2 Samuel's verses 15, or chapters 15 through 18, you see the story playing out prior to this psalm being penned. And I'll kind of uh, brief you into what's going on here in this passage. So uh, David's son overthrows him for the throne. Now David is retaliating against his son to, to take the throne back. And in his efforts to regain the throne, he regains it, but the cost of regaining the throne was the death of David's son. You can imagine this moment what David's feeling as, as there's a joy of like, man, God's delivered us and he's been faithful and we've regained the throne, but the deep sorrow that he felt of the loss of his son. And it is in this place of turmoil that David pens Psalm 27. I can't imagine those emotions David's feeling in that moment, and I find it really interesting that he doesn't start Psalm 27 in, in some manner like, God, why has this happened to me? And, and he doesn't start it like, is there any other place, is there any other avenue on which this could have happened, I could have regained the throne, or how could you do this? That's not how David starts this psalm, but instead, he starts with praising the Lord. You are my light my salvation, the stronghold of my life. And I, I could just imagine that moment in David's deep turmoil and, and sorrow. Like he's singing to himself, like, God is still God. No matter what's going on in my life, whether I'm, I'm a high of the high or the lowest of lows, it doesn't change the character and attribute of God. He is still my light. He's still my salvation. He is still my stronghold. And I love that. I love that imagery there that even in the deepest, darkest moments of our lives, we still have a song to sing to the Lord that he will always be God. Then you see that shift, and where we're going to really anchor for the remainder of our time is in these three passages, Psalm 27, verses 4 through 6. You see a shift from David praising the Lord, like, God, you are my stronghold, you're my light, you're my salvation, now to going, there's this one thing I'm asking of you, Lord. Verse 4, we'll read it again. This one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after. Now, David is referred to as a man after God's own heart. And so when he's saying, hey, there's this one thing that I'm seeking, there's this one thing I'm asking, I think it would be wise of us to lean in 
Like, David, as the man after God's own heart, and we want to be people after God's own heart, what is the one thing that you ask and seek? It's like a major league baseball pitcher coming in this morning going, hey, everyone, I have the one secret to throwing the best pitch in history. You'd go, I'm going to listen, right? Or, or a billionaire coming up here going, hey, I know the one secret or the one thing to seek after to make a lot of money. Go, okay, I'm going to listen. And so with David here in Psalm 27, the man after God's own heart says, there's one thing that I ask the Lord, that I seek after. We should lean in. What is it, David, that you are asking and seeking of the Lord? You see it right there in that verse. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David's deepest desire, the one thing that he is seeking and asking of the Lord is that he will dwell with him all the days of his life. And now, I heard as a kid this be taught in a wrong way, Uh, and so Psalm 27 verse 4, my pastor would read it, and uh, he would say, listen, um, that passage is telling you that you should be in the church, and you should be serving in the church, and we had Wednesday night service. He goes, hey, attendance is low on Wednesday, so you better read this passage and be here Wednesday night. And we're like, okay, great, and those are great desires. Like, a desire to be in the church is phenomenal, but this passage is saying something deeper. In fact, we actually, uh, two weeks ago, had 14 students um, sleep at the church for three nights. We were serving at high five in the morning, and we were doing some fun things at night and served at the Muskegon Rescue Mission. And I can promise you this. If you ask any one of those students on day four, hey, is your deepest desire to sleep here at the church every day going forward? I can promise you their answer will be no, all right? Uh, After day two, they were kind of oversleeping on the floor and having no showers, okay? Uh, So David is not saying here, hey, the one thing I want is just to be in the church. That's a great desire, but what he's desiring is something a lot deeper. What David's saying here is, I'm desiring the presence of God. We know that it's in the temple in the Old Testament where God's presence dwelled. And he's saying here, my, my one desire, the one thing that I'm seeking after is that I would be in God's presence. Be in deep communion, deep relationship with him. That's such a beautiful thing that David is desiring after. I remember in college, Uh, We were taught that uh, there's these three things that at the core of every sinful man's heart he desires. We call them the three G's, and they're on the screen. There's these three things that every sinful man desires after. Glory, gold, and girls. Now, if you're a lady in the room, just change it for guys, all right? I didn't want to put, like, girls, guys, it'd be four G's, it'd be confusing. But either way, glory, gold, girls. Now, because we live in West Michigan, I think we should add a fourth, golf, right? So either way, uh, yeah, and all the wives are like, I was talking to you right now. Uh, glory, gold, girls. And what I love so much about David is David experienced all three of these things. David experienced the glory of defeating Goliath. He's the small guy that beat the really big giant and had the glory of being the king. David had all the gold he could ever want. He was the king. We all know David had a problem with girls. Some of us are familiar with the story. seen one bathing on a uh, rooftops to say, I want her, and we've seen where that one ended. Uh, but there was a desire. He experienced all three of these G's. And yet, in Psalm 27, he doesn't say this one thing I'm asking the Lord, seeking after, is that I would have more glory, more fame, or more gold, more money, a relationship. No, David says, I want God. He's experienced the gold, the glory, the girls. He says, doesn't cut it, it's not enough. There's something deeper that I'm longing for, something deeper that I desire. 
the presence of God. And my question for us this morning is, what is that one thing that we desire? What is the one thing above everything else that we are deeply seeking and asking of the Lord for? What is that one thing? It's Sunday morning, and uh, if I was to be honest, it's really easy on Sunday to go, well, clearly God is the one thing that I'm seeking after. Like, you don't understand how hard it was to get all four kids dressed in here for Sunday morning service, and we're here for the nine. And I I totally get it. We have a daughter, and it's hard, and and you may be going, yeah, God is the one thing that I seek after. What about Monday morning? What about when we get up out of bed tomorrow morning and get ready for work, or if you have the day off, we'll, we'll use Tuesday this week? And you get up and you get around. Is God still the one thing above everything else that you are seeking after? As, as I was thinking through this, man, I was so convicted by God's word. Like, is God's presence, deep communion with him, the one thing? Or is it one of the three G's, gold, glory, girls? Maybe it's, hey, I, I just need a bigger house. Like, I, I'm right now in the process of trying to fix my house so I can sell it and get a bigger house. Maybe it is golf and a hobby, like fishing. Maybe it's your marriage, your children, a relationship. I know, I remember, uh, if you're in the room and like, you're in your mid-20s and you're single, I, I get it because I was there, and I remember, like, just finding my spouse was the one thing that I seemed like I was chasing after in my early young adult years. And it consumed my mind in every room I walked into. I, I was trying to look for that one person that could potentially be my spouse. And I'd say to you, man, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and he will bring the rest. What is that one thing you seek after? And, and some of these things are really good. Like, we should be seeking after our marriage. We should be seeking after our children and, and raising them in a way that honors God. And I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting a nice boat, a nice house, a nice car, but is it the one thing above everything else that we seek after? What would your coworkers say is the one thing we seek after? What would your friends, your family say is the one thing you seek after? So you hear David says, the one thing I'm seeking after is the presence of God. So the big point this morning is this, be a seeker of God's presence be a seeker of God's presence. And I want to just point our attention to that first word, be. You know, um, our faith is really a balance of be and do. Be and do. And for some reason, we tend to gravitate towards the do a lot more than we do the be. Like, I got to get into my word. I got to pray. I, I got to go to church. I got to share my faith. All great things. But sometimes we gravitate towards, towards those, and every day it seems like we're just checking off our spiritual checklist to, to make sure that we are, are still believing that Jesus is Lord. And yet there's a balance of be and do. Think about just your very salvation was a be. You did nothing to earn it or deserve it, but you just learned to rest in the identity and the truths of God's gospel. It's like trying to be a son or daughter. You can't work your way into being a son or daughter. My daughter never had to earn her daughterhood. In fact, all she does is blow out her diaper right before we get to a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people know. Uh, wakes me up, actually just a couple days ago, woke me up at 3 a.m., kept me up right until I had to get ready for work. It was so convenient, right? I'm like, great, no more sleep for me. Uh, but she's never once lost her identity as a daughter because it's not something she does to be my daughter. And the same thing with our faith. Be and do and to be a seeker of God's presence. Listen, the last thing I would want you to feel this morning is like to seek God's presence should just be another task on your spiritual chore list. But instead of seeing it as a task, let's see it as a calling from God. 
something that we're walking out, that God, we don't want to just seek you. We want to be seekers. And every day we want to seek after your presence until we see you in full glory one day in heaven. Let's be seekers of God's presence. And after David unpacks his deepest desire here in Psalms 20, or it's 27, verse 4, um, you see him give us two moves and a response of a seeker of God's presence here in verses 4 through 6. Two moves and a response. And the rest of the time we're going to sit here and unpack these. Listen, if we're lucky, all right, we're really lucky. We're going to get to Mr. B's before the Baptist down the street today, okay? I'm going to get us out of here early. We're not going to be waiting. They're going to be behind us in line instead of us behind them, all right? Let's show them who's boss. I'm joking. I'm joking. All right, so here's the first one, gaze. We see it right here in the passage, Psalm 27, verse 4. Uh, this one thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And look here, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And gazing is not just a quick glance, but to gaze upon something is to allow it to steal your attention, to be captivated by it, to, to gaze at something. A very poetic way of saying it is like you just start drinking in the sight. To gaze upon something is to look at something so magnificent that you can't take your eyes off of it. It seems like as you are so fixated on whatever you're gazing at, the things around it just start to fade into the background. Remember, uh, before we moved to Muskegon, me and my wife um, came up here for a camping trip. And uh, long story short, it was an awful idea because my wife was in her first trimester of Hannah. Um, we decided to sleep on the bed of a truck, uh, and it was going to rain that night. All right, you can see none of those line up to a fun time. But I will tell you, my favorite part of the trip uh, was absolutely not sleeping in the truck. But uh, my favorite part of the trip was we were right here driving down. We passed the church, uh, and we were going towards Muskegon State Park. And for those that are familiar with the area, if you're visiting this morning, you're visiting the area, uh, hidden gem right down over here at Muskegon State Park. But you drive, and, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with that turn you take at Muskegon State Park. You go over the hill, and you start to see the shore of Lake Michigan. I remember as we took that hill, and we could start seeing a glance of Lake Michigan, I was captivated. Like, in that moment, Lake Michigan stole my attention. I found myself in awe of the beauty of it. Like, the, the shore was going on for miles, and I couldn't see the end of the lake. And I remember the sun was just about to set, and we seen the orange rays of the sun reflecting off the water as the water slowly waved in. In that moment, man, I was so captivated. I found myself gazing at Lake Michigan. I looked over to my wife. She lived near Lake Michigan most of her life, and I asked her, did you ever get bored or sick of looking at this lake shore? She told me, not once have I ever gotten bored or sick of looking at this shore. And I think about that story of, of allowing Lake Michigan to catch our gaze, how in the same way when we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, it's that same way, like it, it captivates us. We never get bored. We never get sick or tired of, of gazing at God's beauty. I love, there's this um, hymn called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, and it's up on the screens. Uh, I can't sing real well, so I'll, I'll talk it out. Uh, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And that picture being drawn there is someone so captivated and gazing upon the beauty of the Lord 
but the things of this world seem to start fading into the background. Start fading into the background. I love the Colossians 3. In the New Testament calls us to this idea of setting our mind on things above. Setting our mind on things above. Looking for the beauty, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. I think there's two ways that we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and we'll unpack these. The first is this, and the way that we gaze upon the Lord is in his word. In God's word, we see the beauty of God. His word is like a signpost pointing us to the presence of God, pointing us to the very character and the attributes of him, and ultimately his beauty. God's word reveals his beauty for us to gaze. I love this quote by Don Stewart. It says this, In his nature, the Lord possesses everything that is desirable. Everything. Everything that is desirable. His character is one of perfection. Indeed, listen to this. Scripture emphasizes and reveals that the Lord is perfect in his beauty and his character. The word of God emphasizes and reveals, reveals the beauty of God. And when we start reading God's word line by line, word by word, we start to see it illustrate just how beautiful God is through his faithfulness from generation to generation to his beauty and his attributes and his character. Find the beauty of God in his word. The second place we see God's beauty is in creation. We see God's beauty in creation. Just like Lake Michigan, uh, when I looked at it, like it didn't end. When, when I was captivated and, and Lake Michigan stole my gates, it didn't end at just, wow, this lake is beautiful. But inside, my response is, man, my creator is so creative. My creator is so beautiful and magnificent. Like, he made this lake. And when I gazed upon Lake Michigan, I was ultimately gazing upon the creation that my creator made. And it gave me a glance of just how beautiful he is. See, creation reveals the greatness, the creativity, the beauty of God. So we gaze upon God's beauty in two places. It's his word, and in creation, you might be asking, how is gazing upon God's beauty and his word in creation make us seekers of God's presence? Well, it's in the gazing upon his word in creation that we start to realize how near God is. And, and seeing his, his, his beauty in his text and seeing the beauty of creation, a greater awareness of God's presence comes upon us. And, and gazing at his beauty, the presence of God no longer seems like a far-fetched mystic reality, but it's present, near, now. God's presence isn't somewhere to be obtained, but it's right in front of us. We see God's beauty. We gaze upon it in his word and in creation. If I was to be honest with us and with you this morning, I think we've lost the art of gazing particularly on the beauty of the Lord. And why is this? Why is it that we've lost the art of gazing? I think it's because of this. Gazing requires you and I to slow down. Slow down. When we gaze upon the beauty of God and his word, 
It's not by jam-packing 12 chapters into our read-the-Bible-in-a-year plan, and I just got to get through it real quick so I can go on for the rest of my day, but, but to gaze upon God's beauty and His Word is to read it word by word, line by line, not speed-reading, but allowing it to illustrate how beautiful God is, but it requires you to slow down, and His creation requires us to slow down instead of rushing. I don't know about you, but I never leave any margin when I leave for work. Like, if, if the, I hit one too many red lights, I'm going to be late, because I'm, I'm there, like, right on time. I know exactly when to leave. No margin for anything. But to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord requires margin. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord requires us to slow down instead of jam-packing every second of every day with something. We slow down. I can promise you this. If you were to slow down when you're in God's Word, when you're to slow down when you're in His creation, when you slow down when you're at a coffee shop instead of being so fixated on what's right in front of you, lifting your eyes up and seeing God's beauty play out in all the different faces and, and timelines and stories that are in that room, the beauty of God will be seen. You'll find yourself captivated, gazing upon it. God is near. And in gazing upon his beauty, we, we get a greater awareness of his presence. Slow down. Look. Find yourself gazing upon his beauty. I love the cliche, you know, stop and smell the roses. Just stop and smell the roses. But really, just stop and smell the roses and see God's beauty and how great they smell. All right, so either way, it's gaze upon God's beauty. Second one is this, inquire. See it right there in verse force is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Inquire. This idea of inquire is to um, perceive with intention. I like a word that they use, inspect. I really like this one. To seek out. To inquire is to seek out something. To inquire of the Lord is a conversation. It's, it's relationship-based. To inquire of him is a move of prayer. It's this move of drawing near, requesting of the Lord, asking of the Lord, and waiting to listen for a response. Seek out, inquire the Lord. I, I love that David added that to the song, or the psalm. He's like saying, hey, I, I don't want to just behold the beauty of the Lord. I don't want to just see it, but I also want to know the Lord. I don't want to just behold, but I want to know my Creator. I have a desire to seek out and to know the Lord. We see this word temple here, and I thought it would be really helpful for us just to kind of unpack this. You know, David, right, is dwelling in the temple because that's where God's presence is. But the beauty for us as New Testament believers is 1 Corinthians, I believe 6.19, tells us that no longer does God's presence dwell in some temple and, and some destination on the map, but now me and you are the temples of God. God's presence dwells within us. And the beauty of that is this, is, is we don't just need to acquire of God, or we can't just inquire of God when we're at the church. We, we don't have to just inquire of God when we find ourselves in some temple in Israel, but we can inquire of God anywhere, in our house, in our car, here at the church, at a friend's house, at a coffee shop. We can always inquire of the Lord. God's presence is no longer confined to a temple manifest presence is no longer combined to a temple, but it's within us, and we are the temple. It's not a destination on the map. And I love David's response, kind of this idea of temple. I love David's response to inquiring of the Lord. 
So he's seeking out the Lord. He's, he's inquiring of him. And look at this response in verse 5. Directly after saying, I'm inquiring of the Lord, he goes, for he will hide me in a shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and my head shall be lifted up above my enemies. David's response to inquiring of the Lord was this. I've seeked you out. I found you. And my response to finding you is, I love you. Like, I I find such great security in you. Look at that in verse 5. Like, what he's saying is, hey, God, I've seeked you out. I've inquired of you. And my response is, I can trust you. I can find myself secure in you. And, And David's seeking of the Lord, seeking him out, inquiring of him. He found that he can trust the Lord. I love this song by Carrie Joe. Maybe some of you will know it, maybe some of you won't. It's called The More I Seek You. Anyone ever heard of it? The More I Seek You. It is, it's one of my favorite songs. One of the first songs I learned on the piano, and I love that first line. The more I seek you, the more I'll find you. And it continues, and it goes, the more I find you, the more I'll love you. And this idea of inquiring first, God's word promises us that if we seek him, we will find him. But the response of us finding God, the response of our inquiring of him is a deeper love, a deeper security and trust in our relationship with him. I can promise you this. Listen, you seek God out. You seek him out in his word. And that relationship will only be built and a stronger love will be established, a a deeper security in him will be so present. Like even think about it for those that are married in the room how much secure you are in your wife or in your husband, the longer that you seek them out and, and learn their heart and the way they think and the way that they love, you find yourself so deeply secured the more that you know your spouse. The same is true with the Lord, that the more we seek him out, the more we discover who he is, we find ourselves secure and so much deeper in love with him. Let's inquire of the Lord and the response here. So we see two moves David makes. He's going to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He's going to inquire of him. And his response to inquiring is this, worship. His inquire and his response to inquire is worship. You see it right here, right? So you see verse five and half of six. And so he's inquired of the Lord. He's, he's confessed his confidence in him. And at the end of verse six, he goes, and I will offer in his tents sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. And David's gazing and inquiring. His response is worship. This isn't a passive worship, but an active, engaged. Like shouts of joy and singing and make melodies to the Lord. He seeked him, he found him, and now he wants to exalt him. I would love to find the person out there because I really don't think they exist that has gazed upon the beauty of the Lord, has, has seen his beauty and his word in creation, that has inquired, seeked him out, that response isn't deep in true worship. How, how could we see the, the beauty of God? Understand and, and seek out his character, his attributes, the, the truth of who God is and not respond in worship. Not respond in a deep, fervent, passionate worship, like, God, you are beautiful, and I love, and I I am so deeply secured in you, and I want to praise you. 
Maybe you're in the room and, and you're going, man, Caleb really was vibing with that first one, like gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And when I leave here before I launch my boat, I'm going to just look out on the shore and the inquire thing. I think I, could, I think I could do that one. You know, I'll get into my word and, and seek him up. But that worship one. Now, Caleb, I don't think you understand. Uh, I got an awful voice. Like it's like tone deaf galore. All right. And if that's you, hey, right here too. You've never seen them put a mic on me on that keyboard for a reason. All right. But, but maybe you're saying you're going, hey, I'm great with the first two, but worship's just not my thing. Worship's just not my thing. I'm not, not a worshiper in the sense of everyone else. I don't, I'm not really into the making shouts of joy. And I don't just, I don't sing in service because I just don't really have that good of a voice. And listen, you will never find a single passage in the Bible. I challenge you. Look at that challenge. I'm looking forward to the email if someone could find it, because I've looked, and I can't find any passage that says, make a good sound to the Lord. Make a beautifully orchestrated shout to the Lord. No, what do you hear? Make a joyful. Listen, the requirement for worship is not that it sounds good, but that it's joyful. And so if you're in the room right now, and you have an awful voice, Listen, we have this front row up here, all right? And actually, we reserve it for the worst singers in the church because then not everyone can hear you. Up here, they got end ears. You're not going to throw out, listen, these fellas right here, I told them, please sit up front. Please, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing. <laughs> They're like, that's why we sit up front. Uh, but really, man, d- don't allow your, your voice, like the quality of, of your voice to stop you from exalting and lifting up the name of Jesus. I hope next week that all the men with awful voices just find themselves up here. I'll keep one ear out so I can hear it. But seriously, never once do you see make a good noise, but make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now, there's a real reality when it comes to worship that sometimes our worship is absolutely a response of like, I've gazed and I've inquired and God, you are so awesome. But sometimes we're just in a really bad season. I don't know about you, but there's been seasons in life um, where worship seems to be out of a place of not, God, what you're doing right now, but, God, just who you are, what you have done, what I know you'll do later down the road. So your worship isn't always a response of what God's doing in that present moment. In fact, I would say our worship very rarely is a direct response of what God is doing in that moment. The worship is not dictated by our current season See, me and you, we, we are called to worship God no matter what. And it's not because God needs our worship. Listen, our worship is not like a cup of coffee for God when he first wakes up. Like, I just need it. Come on, Christ Church. Like, it was pretty weak this morning. And guess what? I'm not going to be as good this week as I was last week. That's not God. But you know who needs worship? You and I. See, worship and, and that time of worship, our hearts are realigned with just how good God is. We're realigned with our very purpose. Listen, deepest question of life, like, what am I here for? I'll give it to you. Glorify God. That is your very purpose. And in worship, that's what we're doing. We're exalting who Jesus is. In fact, you know, our big point was to be a seeker of God's presence. And I think to be a seeker of God's presence, we need to learn how to be a worshiper of God. To be a seeker of God's presence, we need to learn how to worship Him. Let me wrap up with this story. One of my favorite um, parts about doing student ministry is our summer camps. This isn't a plug, but it is in two weeks, and signups are still available. <laughs> okay, maybe that's a little bit of a plug. Uh, that was absolutely a plug. But listen, um, 
one of my favorite parts about going to camp every year, and, and I've actually never been to summer camp with our students. I interviewed at summer camp, um, but I, I never actually have been able to be at a full summer camp, but I've, I've been doing this for a couple years at prior churches, and um, my favorite part about summer camp is that last night, night four, before um, we send the students home, we have one more time of worship and opening God's word, and man, I'll tell you what, every single year, I'm blown away how passionate, how fervent, how just really loud that last night of worship is. Like, these students are going all in, and I've tried to always wrap my mind around it. Like, it's, it's not because they're not tired, because they're exhausted at this point. Like, we've been doing stuff all week. I always thought maybe it's, it's because it's the last night, and they're going, hey, we're just going to give it all because we're so comfortable with everyone, and we know it's our last time. And that might be what it is. But as I was reading through this passage, what I think is the reason why our students are so fervent that last day of camp is this. They spent an entire week gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. Some of them, this is their first time in an entire week that they put their phone away. They find themselves talking to people. They find themselves getting into God's word and, and they're not held down to by some intense Bible reading plan, but they're just, hey, go and have some devotional time getting into your word. And so they're reading it line by line, word by word. They're inquiring of the Lord in these services as they seek out who God is all week. Some of them, for the first time ever, they discover who God is, and they give their life to that Lord. And that last night, why I think their response and worship is so passionate is because they spent all week gazing and inquiring of the Lord. My question for us, church, is how passionate and fervent and white-hot would our worship be here every Sunday if we spent the entire week gazing upon the beauty of the Lord and his word and is in his creation, inquiring, seeking him out, wanting to know more of him. Look at that song, the more I seek you, God, I'm seeking you and I'm finding you and I'm falling deeper in love with you and coming here every Sunday to gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ and make shouts of joy because we've gazed and we've inquired and our response is worship making melodies, singing to him. Man, I'll tell you what, I think we'd make this building shake. I really do. I really think, man, our worship would be so passionate. We didn't come here just to be consumers, but to exalt the name of Jesus together because we've been seeking and inquiring. And so let me land this plane because I promised we'd get out a little early. Um, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. God is so much closer than some of us think. God is so much realer than some of us think. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Get that sense of just his presence is near and it is real. Inquire him. Seek him out. Seek him out and I promise you your response will be a deeper love and security in him. There's not once that I've discovered more of who God is through his word that, that I didn't fall deeper in love with him. And lastly, respond in worship. Exalt his name. Respond in worship. So let's do this. Can we pray? And then we're going to give a chance just for us to respond in worship to the Lord. God, I thank you um, for your word. God, I thank you uh, that you are beautiful. And in your word, it emphasizes and reveals your, how beautiful you are, God, that you hold everything that is desirable. 
God, we be seekers of your presence, God, that the one thing we seek above everything else is you. God, the, the gold, the glory, the girls, the guys, they don't cut it. They're not enough, but there's something we want more, and it's of you. God, so we're going to gaze upon your beauty. We're going to inquire of you. God, I pray our response would always be white hot, fervent, passionate worship to the creator of heaven and earth. God, you are deserving of it all and more. Pray it all in the name of Jesus. Can we stand and worship together?